Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hi, everybody. It's Wednesday night and hurricane or no hurricane. We're checking in safe here tonight and it's time for Friends in Fiction. So let's get rolling. I'm Mary Kay Andrews coming live from Atlanta. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey coming live from Beaufort. Are we doing that? I like it. I like it. (laughs) Great idea. I am Kristen Harmel coming live to you from Orlando. And I am Patty Callahan Henry coming live. This is fun. Coming live to you from Cashers, North Carolina. Right. And neither rain nor snow nor hurricane force gale winds and floods can keep us from telling you that this is Friends in Fiction for New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. Tonight, we're going to welcome Amy Tracy Lang. Almost, I almost morphed to, I almost, you know, did that thing. You married them. Put them together. Yeah, we're going to be welcoming Tracy Lang, author of The Connellys of County Down, and Amy Runyon, author of A Bakery in Paris. Yay. All right. But first, just a quick reminder to check out all the fun things going on in our Friends and Fiction community at friendsandfiction.com. We have a new, improved, refreshed website with lots of new content, and it's beautiful and very easy to navigate. So if you haven't visited in a while, check it out. There you'll find links to our weekly Writer's Block podcast, where a new episode drops each Friday on all major podcast platforms, to our bookshop.org page, where our books and books from our guests are available at a discount, to the Friends in Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa, and to our weekly email newsletter. On this week's podcast, Patty talked to David Katz about writers' communities and why they matter, and about the Kauai Writers' Conference, where PCH and MKA will be teaching this fall. That's Patty and Mary Kay. And coming this Friday, Patty and Christy will be talking with Helen Ellis about her novel, Kiss Me in the Coral Lounge. Over on the book. Over on the book club page, the group is reading Yours Truly by Abby Jimenez, one of our favorite guests recently on the show. And she'll be joining Brenda and Lisa for a live online chat on September 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter and check out our tour dates on friendsandfiction.com. Next up, we will all be together live and in person in Westminster, Maryland, about 45 minutes from Baltimore. You'd probably like to know when. On October 4th, (laughs) to celebrate the launch of Mary Kay's Bright Lights Big Christmas, which is getting huge buzz and great, great online buzz and everybody's talking about it. And I have to tell you, I can't wait for y'all to read it. So tickets for that event are available now and selling fast through the independent bookstore, A Likely Story. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Tracy Lang. Tracy is the New York Times bestselling author of We Are the Brennans. Born and raised in New York City, she graduated from the University of New Mexico, 
Shamus with a degree in psychology before owning and operating a behavioral health care company with her husband for 15 years. While writing her debut novel, We Are the Brennans, Tracy completed the Stanford University online novel writing program. In fact, nice. we had Tracy on our podcast in 2021 to discuss that book. If you haven't listened to it after you listen tonight, go back. I encourage you to find that episode. So Tracy currently lives in Bend, Oregon with her husband, two sons, and their beloved German Shepherd. Her new book, The Connellys of County Down, was just released earlier this month. Sean, can you cover? Sean? That's a great cover. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome. We're so excited to speak with you about the Connellys of County Down. Please tell us about this fiercely loyal Connolly clan and how you came to write their story. Um, well, for me, it really started with a fairly simple idea. Um, someone returning home after being released from prison and uh, looking at all the challenges that, that, that she would be navigating and how it would impact her family, having her back in the house. So that's kind of where the idea came from. Um, but it's very much about her trying to rebuild her life after spending a year and a half in prison um, and also trying to reenter the family. And uh, inevitably her homecoming kind of kicks up lots of issues for everybody. Um, and they have to sort of work through some of that together. Awesome. Oh my gosh. And it, it, it's, it, there's just so much rich family stuff in there. This is so great. I'm excited to dig in. So Tracy, your protagonist, Tara lost her mother at a tender age, but through all the traumas of her young life, she has clung to her fading memories of the fairy tales her mother spun at bedtime, mm -hmm. a retelling of the Irish folk legend, Finn McCool, which I remember reading about in Frank Delaney's epic Ireland. I don't know if you ever read that, but I, I, as, I when I saw Finn McCool, I was like, I know that story. So we would love to hear you talk about how you weave the importance of that story into this story of the Connollys and also which came first, the legend or the Connollys? You know, the, the, the Connollys came first. And pretty early on, I landed an idea of these fairy tales, something that sort of tied these three siblings together. They uh, survived a fairly traumatic childhood together. And as a result, um, they're, they're fiercely loyal to each other, but there's definitely some um, unhealthy dynamics going on. You know, the coping skills that sometimes serve us as children and help us get through uh, especially traumatic times, don't really service as service us as adults. <laughs> yes. um, so they're all sort of stuck in a way. But I love the idea of having this common um, thread that that pulled them together. And as the youngest sibling, Tara can't remember the details of the fairy tale, especially the one that her that her mother made up about them and uh, as uh -huh. the three siblings. And so uh, that's kind of a question for her throughout the story is what, you know, what were our special powers? How did we, how did we come out of this fairy tale together? Um, so, yeah, I just looked at it as a sort of grounding force for these three. And as I went on, they, they kind of took a bigger role over time um, and turned out to be kind of a favorite storyline for me anyway. Uh, but yes, Finn McCool is a famous, and there's all kinds of tales about Finn McCool. 
uh, including the He's one the that's best. in the book. Yeah. 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 Uh, you could use him for a lot. So yes, um, you could. I, yeah, I love the idea of her pulling him in, especially with her. You know, she has a nephew and, um, so yeah, that, that was the idea behind the fairy tales, just something to kind of bring something that helped their mother get through some tough times in her life. And then she passes that on to them. I Tracy, we're going to pause for a second and suggest maybe you take out your earbuds because they're making a clicking noise. They seem to be dying. Do you want to try that? Oh, I sure can. Yeah, we're having to apologize. Oh, no worries. Oh, don't want to apologize. No, no, no problem at all. We're just afraid we're going to lose you. <laughs> How's that? Okay, now you have to unmute, love. Unmute. 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 There you okay. go. Better? Hopefully. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. yes. There you go. Okay. Yes. Yeah, sorry about that. All right. Oh, yeah. no. No, we just didn't want to lose you midway through. No yeah. Worries. yeah. This okay. is good. This is good stuff. So we don't want to, we don't want to lose it. Well, <laughs> I have to admit that this was, I had, COVID, Patty and I both had COVID last week. So when things got, I was reading it. And I was, you know, tucked up in bed with my hot lemonade. And when things got really dire for Tara, I did something I never do, which was jump to the end of the book to give myself some reassurance. <laughs> I chastised oh my her God. for this. <laughs> but now, then I saw that you wrote really a brilliant essay about the importance of telling messy family stories. And I would love mm. to talk to you about why they're, that is so important. And this, this story, you know, gosh, they, there was a whole lot with this family. Everybody had a burden. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're all, again, I think it's comes out of surviving that childhood together. And unfortunately they're just sort of stuck. They're still using some of those same coping skills they did that worked back then. Uh, but but isn't working now. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they're, they're all holding on to something. They're kind of hiding some things from each other, from the world. Um, they each have a reason for that. Um, but now it's really starting to, uh, it's been getting in their way for quite a while. And it's kind of, you know, her homecoming sort of brings a lot of this to the surface. And they have to really sort of start to work through all this if they're ever going to move forward in their lives and as a family together. But the Brennans were a messy family too, right? They were, they were, they had a whole different kind of mess. <laughs> but yes, they were dealing with different issues and very different um, background. Uh, the Brennans kind of had a sense of security, uh, that stability of family and some financial security and, and that was really missing for the Connolly. So they're kind of dealing with a whole different follow wax there. Hmm. So I want to talk about the three siblings, um, but first I want to tap back to how interesting it is that you and I both <clears throat> used a fairy tale to bind yeah. our stories together. And yes. I think that's such an Irish thing to do, yes. right? I think that um, I have a novel I wrote a long time ago called When Light Breaks, and I used the legend or the myth or the fairy tale of the Clotter Ring to bind that one together. And I think there's just something um, really powerful about blending. So I, I, when I started reading about Finn McCool in your novel, I was like, here we go. This yes, is awesome. I had same thought when I read Floralee. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a very, um, like I said, I think it's a very Irish thing to do, to use that to, to bind things together. So there's three siblings, there's Tara, and Eddie and Geraldine. And then of mm -hmm. course there's Eddie's young son, Connor. 
and they're all under one roof and they are all holding tight to interlocking secrets. And we know you have a background in psychology. We talked about it in your intro. So I wanna know how you use that background in psychology, but how tricky was it for you to find a way for this family to kind of break through those secrets and grudges and inability to communicate? Because you did it with such grace and compassion and that's not always the way we break free. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, certainly my background in that field is a part of all of my, all of everything I write, it really is. And yeah. it's not based on any one person or family, but we just, I saw so many instances where people had the best of intentions, families that just, they loved each other so much, but they were just sort of, they lacked certain skills or they were just kind of stuck and as an outsider, it's easy to think, boy, if you guys just communicated, for various reasons, it's just so not that simple for them. Um, so I certainly draw on so much of that. But um, I think the key is, again, being an outsider in those situations, if, you, if people would, it's obvious that they would allow themselves to be sort of vulnerable. You know, Geraldine, for instance, is so afraid of making mistakes. And if she does make, she doesn't want anyone to know about them. Um, and so it's just being willing to actually be vulnerable and admit that you have made those mistakes. And uh, But that's so much harder said than done for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. For sure. Okay, so we have to talk about Detective Brian Nolan. So he has his own family trauma, but right from the start, we sense that he's a decent man. He's just faced with some really impossible choices. And so the question here is, how hard was it for you to resist letting him save Tara? Yeah, he was tricky in that sense. I landed on him kind of early, and I love the idea of this just a very decent guy that, you know, does a good job and, and, you know, very ethical, but there's just sort of in this one situation that bothers him. It has bothered him for some time. Um, but, you know, that's tricky because he is a cop and there's that power imbalance and you have to be careful there and you don't want Tara to be at a disadvantage all the time. Um, so I definitely wanted her to kind of be her own hero, so to speak. Um, yeah. And for him to I support that. But uh, it, I thought that was important, especially if they were going to have a chance, possibly, you know, she needs to, she needs to be one to figure herself out. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, like I always say, um, as novelists, I think we are, pretend, and in your case, real psychotherapists. So, <laughs> right, like, <laughs> like trying to figure out what their motivation is. Can I have them help Literally. them save them? What is their secret? Literally, we are psychotherapists. But um, I want to talk, totally. go ahead, what were you going to say? No, you're 100% right. Yeah, and I'm not licensed. Like, I was just, I worked in that world for so long that you definitely yeah. start to see those patterns. Of, yeah. <laughs> you can use them. Um, I want to talk about the setting a little bit. It's set in Westchester County, New York, a place people associate with affluent commuter communities. But Porchester, where your previous novel, We Are the Brennans, was also set, um, is a working class community. So how important is that setting to the Connollys 
and to the Brennans for that matter. Well, Brennan's was nearby, but there it was a slightly more affluent area. Um, but it's close. But I definitely wanted the Connellys to find kind of just a little bit more diverse area, diverse neighborhood. And Port Chester is that way. It's it's been there a long time. It's always been kind of the gateway to New England. Um, and there has been some transformation, but not fully. Um, and it is quite a diverse area. So it seemed a perfect setup for this family that lives there, but in some ways really can't afford to. <laughs> um, and they're sort of like in that situation, a lot of people in our country are in a time where um, they, they could sell their house for a decent amount of money, but they couldn't then afford to buy something else and stay in that area. Um, so it all seemed like a good um, background and history for this crew, for sure. Well, the setting comes alive. You can yeah. feel it. So. Hey, thank you. Yeah. So we also cannot resist asking you about Connor, the youngest member of the clan who loves baseball and Legos and whose existence has helped Tara endure 18 months in prison. So can you talk to us a little bit about Connor and how important he is to this story? Yeah, I just, you know, these guys are dealing with such heavy stuff and they love each other and there's a lot of warmth, but... Uh, he felt like such a natural addition to the family, just a bright spot, a lot of hope there. Um, and I, and coming back into facing all the obstacles that she's facing, I loved the idea that she had this very, you know, bright spot, close connection to this nephew um, that they could share a lot. And, and, and he would be kind of motivation for her when things got super hard. So I had a lot of fun. He was one of my favorite parts of writing this. And I thought he brought a lot of, um, with his little jokes, I thought he brought a lot of, you know, just lightness to it all. Well, and, and speaking of that, how about the idea of telling a joke when emotions run high? Where did that come from? Well, I think it was just early on when um, I, I wanted them to, I was just looking for ways to really solidify their connection. And, you know, they kind of made this deal I'm not giving much away. When she comes out of prison, she's smoking, and so he doesn't like that. He's heard it's unhealthy, of course. And so they kind of make a deal. All right. She says, I'll stop, but when I have a craving, I'm going to need a joke. So that kind of becomes his little mission to collect jokes. <laughs> and when she needs one, he's able to pull one out for her. You know, and it's, um, I think that kind of laughter or, you know, that connection just in hard times can just shift the energy. You yes. know, and so that's what I was looking for for her. Very I true. have to tell you, it shifted my energy when I was down with COVID. I would read one of those jokes and I go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have a reason why. I feel like you need to pull out the book right now and read us one. I know. No, I'm, I'm really much better. Okay, let's talk that a little bit. That was fun research. For yeah, sure. I bet. <laughs> Um, let's talk about the Irish stuff because it, as a ha my maiden name is Hogan, by the way, and Patty's a mm. Callahan. And yeah. so, um, did you do, a, do you deliberately, do you, are you from Irish background? Is that something that's, um, or you just randomly thought, I think I'll write about Irish people. <laughs> Two <laughs> no. novels about Irish families. Yeah. No, very much in my background. My dad was from Ireland, he's from County Down in Ireland. Oh, um, wow. and I have massive family over there been there many, many times. I was there last year. I hope to be there again next year. Um, and they've got lots of family, Irish family in New York too, mostly Irish. There's almost nothing else in there except Irish. 
Um, so I definitely come from that background. And um, when I started to write, I, it was just such a natural place to go, especially in New York, where I grew up and uh, knew the area well and had family all over. So I, it was just, it's very comfortable for me. Yeah. So you're first generation. Yeah, my dad's side in first generation. Yeah. That's wow. Awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm second you generation. You get a passport. Yeah. Yeah. I think I can get a passport. You can, Captain. Really? Yeah, I can. Second? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Unless they find out about my criminal background. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> we've buried that. We have buried that so yeah. deep. <laughs> so far. There's no way they're finding it. Underneath all the friends and fiction entries on Google. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, if they find out about that phone scamming I did when I was a starving college kid, it's all. Oh my God. Or the one where you would put the the payphone thing next to the other payphone and put money in one. (laughs) Oh my gosh. God. If the FBI is watching, the uh, I think the statute's run out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! The I FBI is still looking for you for that violent crime. <laughs> I signed under a pseudonym. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I wrote. You know, under I write under a pseudonym, and my father, God love him, said one day, um, "What did you say your alias is?" <laughs> oh. <laughs> Dad, aliens is this for criminal. I have a nom de plume. And by the way, it's the name of your grandchildren. So there. All right, Tracy, you've been an amazing guest. We've loved talking to you. And we loved, loved, loved um, the Connollys of County Down. What a treat of a story. Um, Before we let you go. Yeah, and the Brennans. Can you tell everybody where they can find you online and on tour? Um, Online, it's tracylang.com. And uh, I'm fairly active on Instagram, Tracy underscore Lang, easy to find. Um, and honestly, uh, I've, I've got some podcasts and, and uh, some local book clubs lined up. But other than my book launch in a local bookstore here, I don't have anything set up right now. Especially during summer. People are so busy and they're out enjoying life yeah. and all of that. So, um, it, But it, anything that's set up will end up on my website. So, well, people can look for you online then. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. So good to see you. Thanks so much. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. So next up, we have our second guest of the evening, Amy Runyon. So let's find out a little bit about her. Yeah. Amy has been honored as a Historical Novel Society Editor's Choice Selection, as a three-time no- finalist for the Colorado Book Awards, and as a nominee for the Rocky Mountain Fiction Writer of the Year. She's also a proud member of the Tall Poppy Writers, Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers, Pikes Peak Writers, and the Women's Fiction Writers Association. God, Amy, you have like a part-time job doing uh, like right? writers organizations. Organizations. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> All right. Amy lives in Colorado with her husband and two children. Her new book, A Bakery in Paris, was released earlier this month and her contemporary women's fiction debut the Memory of Lavender and Sage will be released in early 2024. We are excited to talk to her about both books tonight. So, Sean, can you please bring Amy on? Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. So great to be here. 
Oh, Thanks, we're Amy. Great so to see happy you. to have you. So, Amy, A Bakery in Paris tells two stories set in two different time periods we don't read about quite as frequently. Um, so, you have one time period in the late 19th century, and then the other mm -hmm. one is the year just before, I'm sorry, just after World War II. So in 1870, we meet Lisette, who was born in the lap of luxury, but gives all of that up to join in the fight for a Paris of the people, opening a small bakery to feed an impoverished neighborhood during the siege of Paris to the backdrop of the Franco-Prussian War. And then 76 years later, in 1946, we meet 19-year-old Micheline, who after the death of her father and the disappearance of her mother, is struggling with raising her two younger sisters. So she's thrust into a prestigious baking academy. She desperately searches for her mother, and she meets a man named Laurent, who might just change her future. <laughs> so that is what the book is about. But Amy, mm -hmm. can you talk to us a little bit about what a bakery in Paris is really about? Well, I mean, it, obviously it has a lot to do with um, Paris and its upheaval. Um, because Paris is such an iconic city, I wanted to talk about two of these kind of lesser discussed periods in its history. Yeah. Um, the, the siege of Paris that led to the Paris Commune is really one of the most pivotal parts in Parisian history in the last 200 years. We talk oh, ad nauseum about the French Revolution being the end of the French monarchy, but we had a monarchy, they had a monarchy again 12 years later. Yeah. And so the, the, when the people rose up after the defeat of, when the French were defeated by the Prussians in the Franco-Prussian War, the people of Paris in particular had, had it because we have to remember Paris is a walled city and you couldn't get in or out of the city. People were starving, orders were given to eat horses and to kill zoo animals. It was horrific. It was absolutely horrific. And so the people rose up after the defeat um, of the French and they said, you know, um, we want to govern ourselves because you're not doing that great of a job. We'll take care of this ourselves. And they, you know, they managed reasonably successfully for um, two months. But then they were set down really violently by the when the, the military regrouped. They were set down very violently to the point where even the people who were not sympathetic with the cause of the Paris Commune said that the government went too far. And the result of which is that Paris, France never had a monarchy ever again. So this really was the death of the, of the French monarchy. And it's not lauded um, mm -hmm. to the degree I think it should be. Um, we talk about, um, you know, we talk about the French Revolution and the smaller revolution of 1848, which is the theme of Les Miserables, which you'll see right there. Boop, there's Les Mis right there. Uh. <laughs> and um, I pitched the book as Les Mis meet Chocolat. And that's where the no, Les Mis like part that. comes up. It's the, the people at the barricades with their own bare hands defending their city. And, um, and the right to be to, of self sovereignty and the self, the right to govern themselves. And I, I thought it was a moment that deserved to be celebrated in the course of a novel. But then I thought that a way to kind of transition my readers who are used to my World War One and World War Two book was to talk about the post-war and the healing after World War II, because so many books, and my books are just as guilty of this, is, you know, it's like, oh, some plucky French heroine comes in. She's probably a spy. She, 
the day, kills a few Nazis, and everybody lives, the Nazis go home, and everybody lives happily ever after. And we don't often in books discuss the price that even the victors have to pay in war. And that's what I wanted to do with Micheline's timeline. And I thought the two stories actually fed really well off each other. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm fascinated by how many different places you have chosen to set books. And I say the same thing about myself. I said, if I could just pick one time period, first 1838 Savannah, then 1952, England, it'd be a lot easier if I could just, you know, pick a time and a place. But in Daughters of the Night Sky, we're in World War II Russia and across mm -hmm. the Winding River and the School for German Brides, you take us to Germany. In your Daughters of New France series, we are set in Canada, yeah. and you have dipped into France briefly with Girls on the Line. So what made you come back to France again, aside from wanting to return to a city that's, a, I mean, a country that's amazing, and how did you make that uniquely French setting come alive? Well, I have a master's degree in French. It is my passion. Will it do was it. my academics. Yes. And, um, you know, and that's kind of, kind of how my first two books that are set in Canada, it's French Canada. So mm. they are, and they start out in France. So um, there, there's a French connection to a lot of my books, actually. Um, you know, even Daughters of the Night Sky, she ends up in France at the very end. Um, yeah. And that's not too big of a spoiler, I promise. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, and you know, I was kicking around ideas for a book. Um, this is early 2020, and I was dating a historian, and he said, "Amy, you've got a master's in French. Why don't you write about the Paris Commune?" And I said, "You know what, historian boyfriend, you're very smart. I'm gonna. That's a great <laughs> idea." And so everything, you know, kind of germinated, and I ended up writing the School for German Brides first. But then I'm like, you know, I had the proposal already to go and I was really excited about it. And my editor jumped on it and we got um, a little bit of a, a spoiler. I ended up marrying said historian and we got oh, the news no. about the book deal on our honeymoon. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Oh, I'm so glad we asked that. That's amazing. so cute. I love it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, since that sense of place plays such a huge role in your novels and you visited so many places that you've written about. Is there a place you're dying to write about next and that you're eager to return to or visit? Well, um, you know, this is really my love letter to Paris and my follow my next historical book is called Mademoiselle Eiffel and it also takes place in Paris. So I got to do research. Um, I got to go to Paris twice after not going for 12 years. Wow. I got to go to Paris twice in, in the course of like nine months. Wow. Um, so that was that, very exciting. Very exciting. Mm -hmm. And um, I got to do research in the Musée d'Orsay. I got to walk through the Grand Gallery while it was empty. Ugh. It was it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. amazing. But I got to do archival research there. And so I got to double dip for two books, which was wonderful. Um, and it mm. makes me understand why um, writers who have a better level of focus than I do actually specialize in things because it is great to be able to use it more than once. But um, yeah. my first contemporary book is called The Memory of Lavender and Sage. And you mentioned that during the intro. But it's my love letter to Provence, which is where I lived when I was a French uh, student, when I was studying oh, French at the Institut Américain Universitaire um, back 10 million years ago when I was in college. And I just, it was an amazing place and it's so different from Paris 
but still yeah. French, but it has its own unique culture. And I wanted to write a book that celebrated that. And, mm. you know, it kind of has the, the typical women's fiction, woman finding herself and, an, you know, an emotional journey. But it also is a treatise about the life in French villages and how that lifestyle is dying because there's a brain drain. Everybody's going off to the cities because that's where the jobs are. And you can't blame them for cert for sure. But it really is kind of a celebration of that and how to keep that life from dying out entirely. So that's my first women's fiction that will be coming out in February. Mm. Oh, so exciting. Well, you sort of teed me up for my question. So can you tell us a little more? I mean, you've told us a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit more about the memory of Lavender and Sage? Yeah, it's um, it is a set. It's actually you know modern day book, so that was new for me. And it's about Tempesta Luddington, who um, she's a food critic in New York, and she comes from a really affluent family. But her mother was kind of always the outsider because she was an immigrant from France, and you know her parents met while he or her dad was on vacation. Whirlwind romance never accepted by their posh family, and sadly, Tempesta's mother dies when Tempesta is quite young about 13 and um, she never, you know, she's never encouraged to ask questions about her mother. And so when her father passes away some years later, um, when Tempest is 28, um, so a young, you know, kind of entering, you know, leaving the early adult phase, um, she decides to use the little inheritance from her mother to go visit where her mom grew up. And she learns a lot about herself and um, a lot about, you know, uh, gets a lot of questions asked, about, answered about the life that she had or that her mother had before she became a wife and a mother and uncovers some family secrets and some stuff about herself. And um, it really is kind of um, an exploration of found family, for one, and reconnecting with the family that she always felt estranged from. Oh, wow. Mm. I love that. Okay, so after writing so many historical novels, how different was it to you know, delve into the world of contemporary fiction? And what made you decide to make that switch? You know, I, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. I rewrote that book three times because, you know, you can't just throw in an explosion and keep the pace going. It's all, you know, character development and internal growth. And it's so hard. So those of you who write history, you know, contemporary women's fiction, you're the real heroes because that yeah. is so hard. It is so hard because, and you don't have the structure of history to guide you along. And, you know, in the Baker, the, you know, um, a bakery in Paris, you know, because I'm dealing with post-World War II, we don't have the structure. I don't have to worry about, well, this battle happened then. Yeah. And this thing happened then. So it is a little bit more of that. And so it made it an easier transition, mm -hmm. perhaps, because it does feel more like a contemporary women's fiction because it is character driven and not driven by external events or shaped mm -hmm. by external events. Right. But um, yeah, it, you know, and I decided that I wanted to do that just to expand myself as an artist because mm -hmm. I, you know, I want to, you know, put my fingers in a lot of different pies. I want to write in so many different genres. I'm just, that's yeah. just kind of, I mean, fantasy, what have you. I would love to kind of, you know, try all of it. Um, you know, mm -hmm. we get one spin around on this globe and I want to I want to write a lot of different stuff. So, I love I that. Love that. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay, so I mean, so you sort of answered this, but this is something that you would do again, the contemporary world. Yeah, I'm okay. actually gonna probably start writing my next contemporary because I got a two-book contract from the good folks at Harper Muse. Um, <laughs> and I will probably start delving into my second contemporary next week or the week after. Ooh, oh, exciting. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I so cannot wait it. to read The Memory of Lavender and Sage. It's exciting. Yeah, yeah, I love your historical great. novels, and I know it's going to be great. Yeah. Okay, now going back to what we're talking about tonight, A Bakery in Paris, you have this gorgeous line in the novel. Sometimes food is simple nourishment for the body. Sometimes it is nourishment for the soul. Sometimes it is an apology. Yeah. Can you talk to us about that sentiment? And by the way, are you a cook? I am indeed a cook. Um, and so I, I'm actually doing baking videos because you'll Ooh. see throughout the course of Lavender and Sage, there are lots of um, recipes thrown out, but they are kind of archaic classic recipes by Carême, the granddaddy of all French pastry cooking. And they're hard to follow because like, put it in a hot oven. Well, what in the heck is a hot oven? <laughs> degrees. It's 450 degrees. But, um, you know, so I'm doing more accessible recipes. Um, if you go visit me on Instagram or Facebook, I do little teaser videos every Tuesday and direct everybody to my blog at my website, www.amykrunion.com backslash blog. And you can get the step-by-step -step instructions. So yeah, I am um, a very passionate baker, um, passionate cook. And to go back to the sentiment, I think um, food is so much more than basic nourishment. Um, you know, well, in the course of writing this book, when my then boyfriend, now husband, and I were not living together, I would come up to Estes Park and I would stay with his family um, on the weekends when I didn't have my children. And I would always bring a cake um, because it was my way of saying thank you because they would take care of me. You know, they gave me a place to stay. They fed me. They cooked, you know, they cooked wonderful food. And it was my way of saying thank you. And, um, you know, it's just something that I've always felt is, you know, it's my love language. And I wanted to give that to Michelin as well, because I think that food means so much in our daily lives. And even if it's something, you know, French bread, we can't overstate the importance of French bread in the diet, especially in the 19th century. It was the staff of life. And access to a simple bakery was a lifeline for these people. They wouldn't, having a bakery in the neighborhood meant they didn't have to walk an hour every day to secure this staple of their diet. It was important. And so, you know, just um, an apology. And well, you know, it's, it's something I do as a welcome home. And it's, you know, baking a chocolate cheesecake is a gesture that lets my husband know I love him. And it's oh, just, so sweet. yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, I think that it is, you know, it, it is a gesture that means so much more than just nourishing the body. Yeah, I love that. So true. My um, poor husband is probably never going to get a homemade chocolate cheesecake from me. <laughs> <laughs> I could try. But I do love him. I ordered him. Do you know how to make fudge? I do know how to make fudge. That's true. Um, yeah, I make I make a chocolate cheesecake about once every month, and we actually had a double layer chocolate cheesecake for our wedding cake, and I made it myself. Oh, Amy! Wow. All these brides out here who have not made their own wedding cakes. Mm -hmm. Sorry, mm -hmm. you just been shaded. I know, mm -hmm. man. <laughs> How did you convert those recipes that you included in the book? Um, well, I found the transcription from like the original Karem. I actually found a translation of some of his original recipes. And so I just made them more readable and I added in the notes from the characters so that they're not, because I know I, I love cooking, but if I see a recipe in a book, I often just skip over it and I'm like, I'll come back and cook that later. But um, I uh, wanted it to be part of the narrative. And so I, you know, I, I made, did what I could to condense it because nobody needs a four page recipe, but then I added in the notes 
that because I wanted it to feel like a living document because yeah, it's not, yeah. you know, the wonderful, you know, the trope of, Oh, I found my great grandmother's mystical uh, diary in a trunk and it's going to change the course of my life. No, it's a good luck woman. And, but it's a living document. Yeah. And um, because they're professional bakers and I wanted it to be, you know, the torch being passed instead of something um, a bit more mystical in that right. sense. And right, so yeah. I, you know, one of my favorite parts is when Micheline, it's not a sacred tome. She starts writing in it herself. And I love that. I love that. That's amazing. I love that. Okay. So we have a lot of questions coming in for you live, but I had to ask you this one. So Mary Vasquez wants to know if you have a favorite film version of Les Mis. A favorite film version. Well, I mean, the, the, if I'm going to watch a film version, the 10th anniversary edition of the, you know, the musical with Michael Ball and, um, the lead actor is escaping me, but Michael Baldwin plays Marius and Leah Salonga as Eponine. I love the musical version, and it probably—I've seen it on stage twice um, in London and San Francisco. But um, the Liam Neeson version—if you're going to watch—if you're going to watch the um, original uh, or the actual like uh, non-musical version, the Liam Neeson version is solid. Oh, good to know. I love yeah, that. Right. Awesome. We also have Carrie Soderman asking if you have a favorite meal to eat while in France. A favorite meal to eat while in France. Okay, one of the hardest questions I got asked on tour was describe your favorite eating day in France. <laughs> and or the perfect and so that that answer took 5 minutes and everybody went to a French bakery down the street after the thing. I'm not even kidding. Um but um okay, so in my last time in France, I'll describe my favorite meal I had was at Louis Camier. And um, I started off with a cheese souffle and a glass of really good red wine. And it was fabulous. And then dessert was a Grand Marnier souffle with a digestif liqueur and a cup of coffee. And it was incredible. And it was just fluffy and souffle. But you keep, it feels like you keep eating forever, but then all of a sudden you're very full. But it was so, so good. Oh my God, it so sounds good. so good. You're making me hungry. That's I know, I'm starving and this is not helping. growling over there. I know. God, that sounds so good. Yeah, I feel like they should have put a label on there. Like, yeah, like you know, bring a baguette home with the book. Yes, yeah. it should yeah. come with yeah. it like, again. Instead of like a trigger nice. warning, it's like, a, you know, appetite. Be prepared. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Have baguette, good cheese, wine. There you go. That is I don't so know. I could true. eat a cheese exactly. souffle for breakfast, lunch, oh. and dinner. I'm positive oh, I so could good. do that. Now yes. I want a cheese A little souffle. bit of cayenne mm. pepper. Mm. I mean, come on. Oh, sounds so good. All right, mm -hmm. Amy, before we let you go, where can our viewers find you on the road and online in the coming weeks? Well, I have just finished up my West Coast tour, um, so I don't have any more events planned that I'm aware of that, you know, that can always change if they do. My website, www.amykrunyon.com, will have all of that wonderful information, and I am all over Facebook and Instagram, uh, fairly active there as well. I'm at Bookish Amy on Instagram and Amy K. Runyon on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter as well, though not as active. And um, every Tuesday, I will have a new um, recipe up for you. And so if you go to my blog or go to my um, socials, you can see the little teaser videos about that. Oh, I'm going to make one. So cool. I am. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So what are, we right make, now, what are we making next, Amy? About it. Uh, gosh, the next recipe is going to be quiche Lorraine oh, um, oh, on, on the blog. That. And my favorite one so far was Micheline's rose petal jam. I taught oh, everybody oh how to make God. rose petal jam. Oh. 
I wish you guys, I was going to send you guys, I have like 12 jars of it in my fridge, but it wouldn't have shipped well. I was going to send it to you. But oh I my couldn't. gosh. Well, what you did yeah. ship us was fabulous. Was yeah. pretty sweet. Well, you guys are so wonderful to have me. I wanted you to have just a small token <gasps> of my appreciation because you guys are so wonderful and I Aww. love what you're doing. Thank you. Oh, Jamie, you're the best. I'm sorry that you all didn't get the packages we got. We got some <laughs> amazing. I know they were delightful. Yes. My husband was like, "What is it different? Cinnamon? Is it?" And I was like, "It's just well, it's fine. It's just Tensies, I, I'm telling you, if you, anybody who's serious about baking, just get yourself gift cards at Penzies because their stuff is so fresh and so good. That's and awesome. it's like the first, the first key to really good baking or cooking is use brand new spices, like buy them in small Whoa. quantities or use them up because you know, the spices we all have in our girls that are two years old have no flavor left. Yeah. yeah it's amazing. What if they're like seven years old? <laughs> well, ask, asking for yeah. a friend. Ask I got them for wedding gifts. Are they still good? <laughs> just asking for someone who hasn't cleaned out their spice cabinet. I'm just wondering. I, I have nutmeg. I have like uh, like actual like nutmegs in the nut form in my drawer that are probably older than my kids, but they're fresh. I freshly grate it, so I still think it has some good flavor oh, left. Oh, I think uh -huh. so. I oh, think absolutely. Yeah. All right, Amy. Thank you so much for thank being you. with us tonight. Thank it was you. so nice to chat with you. It was so nice to think about all the food we can eat like, mm -hmm. in, in celebration of Paris. Um, and we hope that everyone out there will check out a bakery in Paris out now. Thank so thank you. you so much for being with us, Amy. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Amy. Good to okay, see you. everybody. Don't forget that you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. And please make sure to check out our podcast, our book club, our tour dates, our newsletter, and more all on friendsandfiction.com. We're going to be back next week with Elizabeth Elizabeth Acevedo to discuss her novel, Family Lore, which is this month's Good Morning America pick. And we have such a fun episode in store for you. We can't wait. And by the way, um, hang around because we're going to have a little after show afterwards. So um, we'll see you next week, but we'll see you right back here in, you know, blink of an eye. <laughs> Good night. Well, hello, ladies. Welcome. Oh, hello. Hello. <laughs> that was a fun show tonight. It was, it was so oh my fun. gosh. They were great. Guys. Go from Ireland to New York to Paris yeah. to Provence. Just like, split around. Like, I know. If we could just yeah. go visit each place we talk about. I just know. I know. I'll be I back like in our bed by nine. <laughs> That'd be nice. Well, yeah. I will tell you, talking to Amy made my mouth water. So mm -hmm. she also had this line in one of the book's recipes that says, and, and I, I meant to mention that in the book, all of the recipes have um, little kind of thoughts and asides from the characters. So it's cool. It's like a little piece of personality poured into the, the recipes too. But she has a line that says, when things look hopeless, it often takes a small change to set things to right. Is there a comfort food in your life that makes things feel right again? Maybe something mm. you made for your family or something that your parents or grandparents made for you? How about you, Patty? Um, gosh, all these things are flooding back, but there is nothing more comforting. And I will even make it for myself if I'm, say, home alone sick with a sickness. <laughs> um, and that is a grilled cheese sandwich. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I made it for my kids when they were sick. I make it for myself. Like, and I don't eat them on the whole. Like, I don't make them for lunch or something. But when I don't feel well, I just love a good 
grilled cheese sandwich. It is comfort How about yeah. you, MKA? Well, you know, my mother and grandmother um, were great home cooks, and I like to cook too. And so I um, make pot roast, and mm. um, oh, that's a favorite cold weather thing in our family. And I invariably make enough to give away. So we have a couple, mm. uh, uh, a couple of bashers in the neighborhood. And so when I make pot roast, I make enough to share with them. And oh, that's um, nice. My grandkids love pot roast too. And I was asking Molly one night, she, you know, I lost my daughter, Katie, about 18 months ago. And I said, Molly, what would you like me to make um, that your mom made for you that you love? And she just always says pot roast. Oh, oh my gosh. Pot roast it I is. Love that. Pot, pot roast it is. Mm-hmm. You know what? I want your recipe. I don't think anybody wants my recipe for grilled oh, cheese. Yeah. <laughs> I would love your recipe. Yeah, I love that recipe too, if you don't mind yeah. sharing, Kathy. Happy to, yeah. I make it different yeah. a little bit different yeah. each time, but yeah. Okay. Oh, that's great. That. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. I, I love a good pot roast in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you, Christy? So this is actually like a timely question because so my next book um, last summer on Sunset Lane has recipes in it for the very first time ever, which, you know, it's kind of unlike me. Y'all know my chefing skills, but (laughs) but I'm not a terrible baker. And um, I actually used some of my, both of my grandmother's recipes in the book, Um, like throughout the course of the story. So they actually are in the book, but um, I think for me, my grandmother's oatmeal cookies are just like the greatest. I mean, she always had them when I was growing up. She always had, um, she would make the tubes of dough and then like keep them in the freezer. So like anytime, like if oh I was my. there after school, you know, she would just like make a few oatmeal cookies and like we always would eat these huge batches of them at the beach. And I don't know, they're just like comfort food. And so I've, um, I worked on perfecting my recipe for them for over Christmas. They aren't as good as hers, but they're oh, now we need that recipe. Goodness. goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 All right, Kristen, what about you? Speaking of baked things that, um, that kind of evoke family memories, my grandmother used to make these things called shadow squares, which were like blondies on the bottom with chocolate chips on top. And then a layer of um, brown sugar meringue on on the top of it. And Mm -hmm. so like the top comes out crunchy and a little bit spongy. And then you've got like the chocolate chips that never quite melt. It's just, they were so good. And they were so distinctly her um, that uh, I I miss her a lot. And that's something that whenever I make those, it it brings her back to me. I mean, there's just Mm -hmm. something magical about being able to cook something or bake something that you associate so strongly with a person and and then you feel them again with you when when you make that thing so do you feel like your cookies come out the same as hers do do mine the the shadow squares um no she did a she did a better job um but i can i i I, that's how i am i'm like well that was good (laughs) i i mean but but like but they're similar enough that i think like okay like I, I, she wouldn't throw them out if I give them to her, you know? Hilarious. That's um, all right. Before we, uh, before we sign off for the night, I am wondering if, how about uh, plans for Labor Day weekend? Does anyone have any plans? How about you, Christy? Well, I'm hoping that the storm doesn't um, mess them all up, yeah. but yes. So um, we have lots of plans. We have lots of out of town friends coming in. We have a big like Labor Day dance on, um, September oh, 2nd. I'm super excited about that, like a nice. band and all that. And then we're having a dinner with lots of 
friends and the kids and everybody um, on Friday night, which we kind of do every Friday in the summer. But I missed a lot of them because I was on tour this year. So it'll be good to kind of get to do that. And, Any yeah, bingo? No bingo this weekend, unfortunately. Yeah. So last bingo was uh, last. Tuesday. Yeah. It was jackpot. And honestly, we always win. We never win during the year. We always win jackpot. We didn't win this year. We were like, oh, what's mm-hmm. happening? Oh man. How about you? How about you, Patty? Um, yeah, I've been watching this storm and I yeah. think it's gonna be okay. Um, but yeah. I've been thinking about all of you in Florida and Georgia. I not wasted a lot of time, but I spent a lot of time today like watching the cone, watching watching it go across. But I think it'll be gone by this weekend. So this weekend, the whole family is gathering in South Carolina because it is my husband's big birth. It's one of the big birthdays. Ah. It's his 40th. I'm kidding. It's his (laughs) 40th first. (laughs) I married someone two decades younger than me. No. um, So we're having a big family party for my husband's birthday and um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to kind of say goodbye to summer in a beautiful way. And I'm actually really looking forward to the fall. Unlike you, Christy, I know this is your favorite season. I like the heat this no, summer. Like has the fall been, too. It has been so crazy. Yeah, so I am been. ready to enjoy the last weekend of summer, get out on a kayak, enjoy yeah. it, and then, and then move on. So how about you two? And what, Mary Kay? How about you? I know you've got um, we, are, we have good no stuff coming up. No, but you, but you, you've got right. some big stuff coming up soon. Yeah, I, you know, I have no plans because I'm working, trying to finish the freaking book before I go out on tour. Um, that one. You know, we've got so much stuff coming coming up. We've got a really nice pre-order offer with Eagle Eye Books and Decatur. Um, folks can get a really cute Christmas tree ornament that looks like the. Spammy the Camper in Bright Lights Big Christmas. Um, the Atlanta launch is Saturday, September 23rd with book sales by Foxtail Books. People can go to their website or mine to buy books. Um, and then the, we are off and running. Oh, we're going to have a fun, really fun launch in um, at my friend Clay's Motel, as he calls it. It's an inn in Cuna Vista, Georgia. Funny. And he has been collecting um, Christmas trees, artificial Christmas trees, because the plot of the book has to do with a family that owns a Christmas tree lot, and they set up uh, a shop um, in Greenwich Village um, at Christmas. And so Clay has been going to yard sales and flea markets and buying up all these Christmas trees. So he's going to turn the front front porch of of his inn into a Christmas tree lot. And I've had this big sign made. Maybe people can see it on, um, if they look on my social media. So you can see that. Um, and there's a lot going on. So um, no, it's this weekend, scary. I'm just going to be getting getting ready and doing all that. I think Tom's going to cook some ribs, maybe. Mm. Oh, that sounds great. Okay, so if people if people want to find out about all the stuff you have going on, Kathy, since your book's coming out yes. in just a few weeks, they should follow you on your socials and get signed yes. up for your newsletter. And they can yes, have they should. And we've got all, some, the, all the details. Yeah, we've got you've a, got some sold out events already, so people need I know. them. I know. And then we've got the big launch in um, in Maryland. We're so excited. We're going to all be together again. The band's awesome. getting back together again. All right. And what about you, Kristen? You you know what? Honestly, we were so worried that the storm was going to come this way that I have not even thought through to the weekend because like, honestly, like all of my brain space the last few days was 
just dedicated to watching the local NBC station to see which way the storm was going. It's so, very um, taxing. Yeah, I am exhausted, but I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll get up to some fun stuff. So um, it'll be great. But um, everyone, that is it for us for tonight. Um, we are excited to see you all back here next week. So make sure to check out friendsandfiction.com for links to our old episode and lots more. Make sure to join us every Wednesday night at seven. And we will see you back here next Wednesday at seven. Good night, everybody. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Happy Labor Day. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.